Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come on, stand on your feet all over the room as we go back into the word of the Lord. God is so faithful and so good to us. I want to invite your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We're going to be in this text for the next two weeks. So today we're going to pull out verse 10 and really look at that. But I want to read this text for you. The word of the Lord says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, oh, y'all don't know, Peter's getting excited right here. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Today we want to talk about this subject, the Jesus way of serving. The Jesus way of serving. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Jesus way of serving. Now, I'm, I'm really, really going to really try today to get us, get us moving through this pretty quickly because next week we're going to spend some more time in this. But, but uh, you know, as we've said often in this series in 1 Peter, the challenge of living as a believer in the 21st century seems to mirror some of the challenges of living as a believer in the first century. For early believers, a world controlled by sinful passions of men shadowed the joy of living for and serving the cause of Jesus Christ. In the first century, they were forced in many ways to give an account of their faith to the detriment of their peace of mind and sometimes with the sacrifice of their very lives. See, we can't even imagine what it's like to live in a world where being a Christian means that you might be killed for what you believe. Oh, somebody ought to thank God for the free exercise of our faith. But don't think that didn't come at a cost. Don't think for a minute that there were not people over the time of these 2,000 years or so of Christendom that did not give their very lives so that we could sit openly in this auditorium today and give praise and glory to God. Those servants deserve some praise. And so, and so the manner... The manner by which these early believers learned to stand for their faith did not come in a comfortable sanctuary or even in a Sunday school class. But all too often, it came as a, as a result of a deep, dark, and sinister persecution designed by Satan to encourage them to relinquish or to give up the joy of their salvation. And one of the things that 
The world system has always wanted to do is to make you want to give up the joy of your salvation. How many people know it's a joy to serve the Lord? Amen. Now, even though we as 21st century believers do not face the heavy hand of a society that imprisons us for speaking the name of Christ, we do face a world controlled by the same adversary. Everybody say same adversary. That's right. Same adversary that that would rob us of our joy, kill our motivation for Christ and destroy our, our testimony of God's grace in our lives. This is the truth of our world, a place where love and grace often fall under the shadow of hate and greed. Where there's love and grace, hate and greed is lurking close by. Somebody all know what I'm talking about right there. But as difficult as this world may be, we are called by our Lord not only to survive, but to thrive in the glow of knowing that we have a truth that sets us apart from the world. Not only do we as believers in Christ have the knowledge of a savior, but we enjoy a relationship with Jesus that shapes and molds every dynamic of our lives. So it's not just I know that there is a Jesus. I know who he is because I know that he's in me. I wish I had somebody here. That's a relationship dynamic. Amen. That's a relationship dynamic. So our love for him and our obedience to him molds us, comforts us, and binds us in an inextricable manner so that we cannot become unglued from the hand of our Lord Jesus. We are his and he is ours. We can stand in the most difficult times this world has to offer knowing that Christ is still in charge and he is all we need. Now, it seemed like somebody ought to get excited right there. He's all that we need. And all means all. He's not some of what I need, but he's all of what I need. He's not a little bit of what I need every now and then, but he's all of what I need every day of my life. He is all of what I need. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, but my friends, I must have you say that Christ is all and not any man, however good or great, before I can allow that you are Christians. In other words, you got to know Christ is all if you're going to be a Christian. We have not to follow men. Our faith stands not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God, we are to follow no man except so far as he follows Christ, who alone is our master. And so Spurgeon understood this dynamic that Christ is all. He is everything. So it is with this knowledge that Christ is all that we drill into today what it means to serve as he would have us to serve. 
our service in his kingdom should never be purposed to meet the standards of men. But it is always purpose to meet the standards of our Lord Jesus the Christ. So now let us, brothers and sisters, address the question, the question of serving in the kingdom of our Lord. Because, listen, this, this is a critical question. Because many churches are good at the gathering, but not so good at the serving. Watch this now. We're good for gathering. We'll come on Sunday morning and even feel guilty when we don't. <laughs> I know I ought to be in church today. Come on, throw, throw your hand up real fast if you ever said that. I, I, I know I ought to be there. But it's not just the gathering that's important. What we want to examine today is if you're gathering, why aren't you serving? If you're here today and you came for the gathering, I'm saying that on Monday we start the serving. Let that marinate for just a minute. So, so it's not just about the gathering. Peter gives us a verse within this passage that is at the center of how we should serve. In verse 10, he says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, he starts off, he starts off that passage talking about the end of all things. So there's some urgency in Peter's uh, writing here. And because there is an urgency in Peter's exhortation to serve, we can suffice it to say That it is vital that we understand that in these last days, our service to one another must glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. Does your service in the Lord's church glorify Christ? Or are you waiting for some burning bush experience? You know, a lot of us, we, you know, we have a lot of audacity in us. You know, we, we wait around. Well, you know, I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. He told you from Genesis to Revelation exactly what he wants you to do. And a lot of us wait for some epiphany, for some spiritual uh, experience, a burning bush or what have you, to decide when we're going to serve in God's kingdom. I'm telling you that God has given us all that we need in his word. And I knew it was going to be quiet right there. I knew it. So the questions of motivation in serving and whether you are serving are critical to how you put Christ on display in your life. The early Christians were not even called Christians. Did you know that? It was later on that they started calling them Christians. But initially, they were called people of the way. Now, what was that way? It's because God did not call them to establish monuments to their own piety. But Jesus said, follow me. Serve like I serve. 
Walk like I walk. Love like I love. Believe like I believe. Give like I give. When I get to yours, just say something. Do like I do. Be what I am. So the people of the way are to follow his way. Our faith should not only be private, but it should be a faith on display for all to see through our service. It's not how good you are in your prayer closet. And you ought to be good there. (laughs) But it's more about not just what you do in your private devotions, but the world ought to see beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are serving Christ. Are there people that know you that doubt you're a Christian? I'm talking to the Christians in here today. Look at somebody say it's tight, but it's right. It's just <clears throat> see, see, you can't just have this private faith that doesn't produce a public display of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It must be there for all to see. Now, there are three key elements regarding service here in verse 10 that we want to examine for you very quickly today. Three key elements. First of all, every Christian has a gift for service. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbor. Come on, look at him real good. Say, "Neighbor, neighbor. You have a gift for service. Okay, everybody knows. Now, you have, if there's any doubt in your mind when you came here, you have a gift for service. And Peter says this, as each has received a gift. Don't miss the past tense of the word received. You're not waiting on your gift to come UPS. Don't stand at your spiritual door looking for the FedEx man to bring your spiritual gift. Any day now, you're going to get here. The scripture says you have already received. At the moment you became a believer, you receive a spiritual gift from God. One of the biggest things that the, the enemy uses against us is to make you think because make you think that you don't have a gift and then make you think that because maybe your gift is not one of those public gifts that somehow your gift is not important. We wouldn't be anywhere without God's grace, but we'd be in a dirty church without folks that knew how to clean. I mean, how much praise do we give really to the people that take out the garbage? Huh? I, I've never been in a church that had an anniversary for the garbage taker outers. Huh? I, I've never, I've never been in a church that said, "Oh, let's take a moment and let's just celebrate those people that pick up paper off the floor, so won't nobody trip and fall." Or I wish I had somebody here. Don't you think for a minute? That the gift of helps is not as important as everything else in the body of Christ. We need all gifts working together. 
for the good of the kingdom. So, so he says, as each has received, you already have this gift. Now, Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Look at what Paul is saying. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is in it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you see the work of the Trinity right there? You have the same spirit we draw from, the same Lord we serve, the same God who's father of all. And right there, Paul gives us a Trinitarian view of what our spiritual gifts are and the fact that we are all drawing from the same well. The water that you drink for your spiritual gift is not different than the water in which I drink from, from my spiritual gift. It's the same well that we go to. It's the same source that we have. And if we have the same source, seem like we ought to get along a little better than we do. I just threw that in for free. So, so he says in verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Your spiritual gift is not given for you. Well, see, somebody just woke up right then, didn't you? Your gift is not given just so you can go around and say, I got a gift. Now, some of us had to learn that the hard way in life, especially if you got brothers and sisters. You ever see your children at Christmas time when they're getting gifts? They get that gift with their name on it, and they don't want to let anybody else play with that gift. This is mine. This is mine. Until they see what their brother or sister get. Now, now, now you're trying to play with your, oh, wait, wait a minute, I thought you had your gift. See, that's how we get sometimes in the church. We want to hold on to this gift, and we don't want it to be for the good of everybody. But your gift is for the common good. Every believer is given a gift. But now this begs the question, what is a spiritual gift? Now, I could spend a whole semester breaking down and teaching you what a spiritual gift is. But suffice it to say, uh, Professor Wayne Grudem has this definition of a spiritual gift, and I think it's a good definition. He says, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Okay, powered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Every believer has a gift for the express purpose to glorify Christ through use in his church. How are you serving Christ, but you're not serving in his church? I said before, and understand this, God has no lone wolf. He is meant us to be 
in community, one with the other, and your gift is to be used in building up the body of Christ. That's where you're supposed to be using your gift. Every now and then, people will come to me, and they'll say, oh, I, 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 I want to do something for the Lord, and I, I'm ready to do something for the Lord. And I get excited when I hear that kind of talk. You know, pastors, we get excited. We hear people talking about they want to do something for the Lord. I say, okay, what do you want to do? I want to start a new organization. What's wrong with the organization we have? If you want to work for the Lord, he has something called the church. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. He has something called the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm not even really talking about the organizational structure. I'm talking about the family of God that is in any local situation that we can glorify God as a family in a community. Okay, how good you are in your gift. People aren't generally passing your house and saying, there goes a place where Christians are getting it on. They're getting down. It's a place where they're doing it for the kingdom. That's not what they're saying. But when they see the people of God gathered and saying we're here to serve a community, not inside these walls, but on the outside of these walls, we are ready to serve Christ by sharing the gospel with everybody we meet. That's the work of the church. And so that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. So this gift should be serving in his kingdom. We should take no glory in our gifting in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God empowers his gifts and people for his people. But the honor of the gift goes only to God who gave it. In the first place, when I was young in the ministry, one of the first thing young preachers want to always do is we want to preach. I mean, young preachers want to preach. So we, oh, give us a chance to preach. Oh, can't wait till the pastor. Give me a chance to preach. I got to stand behind lectern and deliver the word of God. And, and, and my pastor told me one day, he said, is the only time you can preach is when you're standing in front of a congregation. And we were in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at a convention. And I hadn't, I hadn't been announced in ministry for maybe, maybe not even a year. And he said, I want you to go out, you and these other brothers who say you want to preach, and stand on the corner in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where you know no one. And I want to see you declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we all looked at each other. We, what are we going to preach? We haven't had time to, to study and prepare anything and won't be any microphones out there and nobody's got a pulpit for us to stand behind, not to mention the fact that we could get arrested <laughs> for disturbing the peace. But yet he told us, he said, don't let me come down from this hotel room and not find you on that corner preaching. And it served a lesson to me that using your gift 
is not about what you do really in here. It's about how you live out there. How are you living to use your gift for the Lord and for his kingdom? Are you needing an audience for your gift? Taught me something about ministry. If I'm not the pastor, am I going to quit preaching? Not if I love the Lord. I will preach on the beachfront if I have to. My wife will tell you I preach in the shower. Amen. I'm like, oh, ye wife of little faith. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you have to use your gift. So we should take no glory in our own gifting. The glory belongs to Christ. God empowers his gift in his people for his people. But the honor of the gift goes only to God who gave it in the first place. Paul highlights this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is one of my favorite texts of scripture as it relates to how we serve. Look at what he says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show, don't miss those words, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He has taken the gospel and put it in human beings who are sometimes uh, uh, faulty, sometimes fail, sometimes have, have cracks in them. And God has taken that gospel, put it in us and said, you do this, you preach this gospel, but the power and the excellency belongs to God. That's what it is. It's about him. Don't you think for a minute that you deserve to have that gospel in your life. We don't deserve these gifts that God has given. But we have been empowered by God so that people can see us. And glorify the Father. So every believer has a gift to serve the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing I want to drop in your spirit here is that our gifts are given to serve one another. Look at what Peter says. Use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. A wonderful element of being given these spiritual gifts is that they are not for ourselves, but for the building up of the body of Christ. I do not preach and teach for my glory, but so that Christ may be glorified in my sharing the word with his people. It's not about elevating self. Paul says, I determined to not come before you with Wisdom of words. I didn't come before you with eloquence of speech. But I came before you knowing this one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Therein lies our message. Let us not try to impress with our verbal joustings. 
Let us not try to impress with the way we pray our prayers. Let us not try to impress with our administrative skills. Let us not try to impress with the many titles we bestow upon ourselves. But let us impress to the glory of Christ. Let us impress with a humility in our heart that says, though I don't deserve this, I'm grateful enough for the chance to tell somebody that Jesus is Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers Look at verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but right here, for building up the body of Christ. Why do we gather to be built up? Listen, everything in that world out there is designed in the world system to tear you down. I was sharing with a young man this morning. Everything that's outside of Christ is designed by your adversary to tear you down. And the reason is because if he can chip away at your faith and chip away at your foundation, then you become silent in this world. And God doesn't want you to be silent And so we gather so you can be built up to be made strong, to know that there are other people just like you who are catching hell in the world, but are catching heaven in their heart. The more Satan tries to bring hell, Christ brings heaven. He says, he says, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. He says, I build my church upon the rock of myself. Why? So the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. We are built up. When we come together, we are built up when we worship together. We are built up when we sing the songs of God together. We are built up when we shake one another's hands and greet one another with a holy kiss. We are built up in our faith. The church is to build us up. That's why when you don't come, you feel empty. You feel like something's missing. You, you, had, you thought you had every reason in the world not to show up. Huh? You, you were mad at somebody. <laughs> you were angry. You were upset. You, you had all these things. Uh, the world had got on your nerves. You had a rough week. You said, I'm not going to come. I'm going to take this week off. And then you find yourself running on empty. Hmm? How many of us know what running on empty is like, huh? Yeah. Been there, done that, haven't you? And so, so he says, I've given you these, these gifted offices in the church, these gifts so that the church, the body can be built up. We're commanded here to use our gifts to serve others. He says, use it. Peter says, use it to serve one another. Use it is a command and not a suggestion. 
Huh? You understand difference between command and suggestion, don't you? How many people have parents that gave commands and not suggestions? <laughs> they didn't say, um, if you feel like it, clean up your room. When you get a chance, clean up your room. It was a command, wasn't it? Clean up this room or you won't leave it until it's cleaned up. So God says, I'm giving you a command here. Use your gift. And so when you're not using your gift, then you are not obeying the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Use it to serve one another. You don't use it to serve yourself. So the last thing, and we're going to get out of here. The last thing is that our service is stewardship and worship. Our service is stewardship and worship. God has made you a caretaker over your spiritual gift. You're supposed to be using it to serve other people in the, in the faith, to serve other believers, to serve his church. And God says that you are the caretaker and the way you become a caretaker indicates how you worship with your life. Now, let me tell you something. Worship is not just what goes on in here on Sunday. Amen. If you say, well, this is all the worship I'm getting this week, pastor. So you better make it good. <laughs> First of all, you putting too much pressure on us. I'm just going to Cause some of y'all leave here grossly disappointed. I'm just saying, because you put all the pressure of worship on one gathering. And I have to ask you if this is all you're doing, then your worship life is lacking. Well, I came to church and church was a little dry today and I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of the week. (laughs) I guess I can talk to God for myself, huh? (laughs) Because we get this idea that all the pressure is on the worship experience. And you have people that will have two Sundays in a row where they think, well, pastor really didn't do much today. I think I'm going to go visit somewhere else next week. Because we put all the pressure, all the dynamic on the gathering once a week. Well, your stewardship of your, how you use your gift demonstrates how you worship. It demonstrates whether there's a worship dynamic that's in your life every day of your life. When you want to know how to worship, look at the life of David. David, by all practical purposes did a whole lot of things wrong. But one thing he did right, he knew how to get to God. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. Every time he had trouble, he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Restore the right spirit in me. Come on, God, I need you to restore the joy of my salvation so I can teach transgressors your ways. I need you to purge me, cleanse me with hyssop. Give me a purging agent that washes my heart because the blackness and the dirtiness of sin has overtaken my heart and I need you to clean me up. David knew how to worship. 
I don't suppose every time he wrote those words or wrote in a psalm, it was always sitting in a gathering like this. Huh? Some of it was, for lack of a better word, at the kitchen table. When you have time to meditate on your sin. David started thinking about how wrong he had been. And he started thinking about how his life had gotten out of control and how he had left the protections of God of obedience to his father. And then he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, he got excited. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my cup. Runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's worship, y'all. That's worship. That's coming to God just as I am without one plea. But that your blood was shed for me. That's worship. So we do this as good stewards. Peter says of God's very grace, we show forth our love for Christ, not only in our serving, but how we serve. If we serve, we should serve with joy. If we serve, we should serve with the recipients of a great grace, a grace with limits unknown, a grace that reaches to the highest mountain, a grace that flows to the lowest valley. As recipients of this grace. Let us serve one another with the same grace. Serve with joy. How many people have been turned off by the church because we don't serve with joy? How many people have said, I'm never coming back there? Or I don't want to have anything to do with your Christ because your Christ is so unlike you. You are so unlike your Christ. I read the scripture and it says your Christ said love one another. But it doesn't look like you're loving one another. How many people have left and never come back into our midst because they say your Christ says be patient, be caring, be loving. And you are anything but those things. Your Christ is unlike you. You are unlike your Christ. Serving each other with grace is an act of spiritual worship. How can you raise hands to worship Christ, but not extend a hand to your brother or sister in Christ? How can we shout hallelujah and glory to God with our hands lifted and then step over the one that is hurting right next to us? Your serving must be with grace. Your serving must be with grace, knowing that you are a recipient of a great grace. Every time I think about how tired I am and how tough it is in ministry, I'm quickly reminded that I serve a Savior who had a much tougher time than I did. I serve a savior that knew that he was going to be walking up Calvary's hill. And he knew how hard 
it would be to put that cross on his shoulder. He knew so much about this that even in the garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed, he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me. Oh, I wish I had some witnesses here. Lord, if there's a way you can make this go away, it's tough, it's hard. If it's a way I could avoid this cross, but nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Yes, serving is hard. Yes, serving is tough. But it'll never get so hard and never get so tough as what our Jesus went through when they nailed him to that cross, when they pierced him in the side, when his blood was shed, when he looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He looked at his father. And he said, it's finished. Into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And I'm saying to you that we must serve with the same thoughts in our mind. Serve till it's finished. Serve till it's over. Give of yourself till it feels like you have nothing else to give. And when you get to that point, think about Jesus and say, Lord, help me take the next step because I got to keep on giving. Because somebody needs to hear the gospel. Somebody needs to know what you did for us on Calvary. And I tell you that in your serving, there'll be a lot of good Friday days. But thanks be to God that after every good Friday, there's an Easter Sunday. Oh, I wish I had somebody. For the Christian, every death brings a resurrection. Every time we give of ourselves, he raises us up. And I'm so glad today that he raises us up in his image and his likeness so that we can serve. And that's where God would have us to be. So serve each other as you would serve Christ if he were here right now. Honor the presence of Christ in your brother or sister and serve them. Leave here today asking someone, how may I serve you? How may I help you? How can I be a difference maker in your life? Humble yourself before each other. Let your love be without dissimulation, which means no hypocrisy. Don't love because pastor said love. Don't love because it makes you look good when someone's walking by and you say, oh, I love you. But love for real. Love those you disagree with. Love those who have a different opinion about things than you do. Love them. And extend a hand to serve them. Let your love be real. And show that, that love by serving Jesus as he showed his love to serve all of humanity. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise in this place. I want to do a couple things.